welcome to episode 79 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC anime universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And this week, we got a big old stinker. Oh, yeah. But it's paired with, I think, one of the best Batman episodes of all time. It was good. I... It it left a little bit to be desired. How dare you? I'm sorry. You may see yourself out. I will do the rest of this playing both parts. This is fun. Okay. I'm going to bed. Let me see if I can uh, deepen my voice a little bit to sound more like you. uh, I have a deep voice. I think, I don't know. I feel like, who? I don't think I have a deep voice. I feel like I put on a deeper voice. I think we both do, for sure. (laughs) It's our character. Our character is the exact same as us, except one octave down. I feel like. I feel like if my my vocal range has a spectrum, it runs from podcast to I'm in a gay bar, and that's when it's at its highest. I, c- I can see that. Yeah. I don't know what my <laughs> highest would be. Uh, Disneyland during the Electric Light Parade. Paint the Night Parade. Paint the Night Parade. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Wait, wasn't there an electric light? Wasn't that the... There's the electrical... Uh, the, oh god what is it called i only saw it once because it wasn't as exciting the the old one that came back yeah. around mm-hmm. um, wasn't it the electric it's the electric something pra- oh my god the electric it's... slide parade that's the one yeah. <laughs> they just they have about a hundred people dressed up in various disney costumes tons of lights mm-hmm. floats and they're all doing electric slide in choreograph mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing uh, Main Street Electric. Oh, it's just Main Street Electrical Parade. I was pretty damn close. We, yeah, yeah. We're both just tiptoeing around the right answer, <laughs> as we do on all things. Right. So We're then, always just so, a little right. Something we'll actually get to at the end. Luckily, we we now have friends that know so much more about this than us. Oh than yeah, this, huge this. shout out to <laughs> to Watchtower Database for showing exactly how little we know about the stuff we talk about. Oh my god. It was. I very appreciate to see like what real fans look like. Um, so I, cause I, I listened to, um, uh, 12th level intellect, their podcast, but I'm, I'm weeks behind sadly. Cause I just, I don't have that much time to do anything anymore. Um, and I was listening to one for a few weeks ago and they were, they were talking about maybe doing a different segment, maybe doing a thing where they would do what we do or what the DCAU review does, which is like go episode by episode. And as they were talking about this, this is right after the, <laughs> they both, <laughs> Both James and Ted, and then also, of course, Maddie Washburn, too, like, was like, oh, here's all the things you guys don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the best way possible. Thank you guys for, like... Mm-hmm. I, I just started following them on YouTube, and they put out a, a great video about uh, where exactly Batman Beyond fits Oh, my God. Okay. Did you watch it? I haven't watched I it yet. Yeah, okay. It's really up good. in my browser, and I, I, I went and got drunk instead today. Oh, wow. Way to, be a, way to be a real fan. It's Sunday. It was a nice day. I live a trolley ride away from West Hollywood. I yeah, had to yeah, get out yeah. of my apartment. Mr. Hollywood over here. Um, you know what I did all day? I worked all day. You played kickball I all day, I worked on a kickball field <laughs> kickball. all day for four hours in the grueling sun. I mean, you know what the... I got out of that? Nothing. It got overcast at some point. That it did. Thank God. It helped a little bit. Well, if it makes you feel any better, right when you were probably starting your third consecutive game, I was sitting down to have a delicious drink called the Waikiki at the new bar called Beaches. That sounds amazing. In West Hollywood. Yeah. And they have like a $5 frozen drink happy hour at the time. Oh, my God, man. It was a great time. That, that sounds like fun. Sounds yeah. like a lot more fun than I had. Yeah. You should just do that with me. I should. Instead. Well, kickball's over, right? Kickball's over now. Yeah. All right. We lost. We'll go so get, it's over. We'll, 
<laughs> we'll go drink on Sundays instead. Great. I can't evening drink anymore. I can only day drink. Mm-hmm. I'm t- it's, the hangovers are not worth it. I like my sleep <laughs> too much. But don't worry. I'm mostly sober now. Good. Good, good, good. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to <laughs> handle this by myself. So what news do you have now that we're five minutes in of nonsense? Oh, news other than that I, I finally went and had a social life today? Yeah. Other than that? Um, well, okay. This is news that I, I figured you would have brought along considering it's Disney. But we had some casting announcement for Mulan. You know, this is honestly news to me. I what? No, I, I've been on. Compl- I've been like living in a shelter all all week. I, I can't believe I'm about ready to tell you this. Yes, but Donnie Yen has been <gasps> cast in the new no! Mulan movie. <laughs> oh my boy, Donnie! Yeah, so he's playing uh, a character called Commander Tung. So not Li Shang, right? Uh, voiced by um, oh crap. Um, he's also in Jurassic Park. How am I blanking on his name? Jeff Goldblum? Yes, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Fa- yes. The- <laughs> Lee Shang, famously played by Jeff Goldblum in the 1997 animated film. No, he, uh, Donny Osmond did the singing voice. Um, oh my God, how am I blanking on this? Uh, his name is B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong. Don- oh yeah. my God, yeah, how did I forget about B.D. Wong? So yeah, so he he voiced... Um, like the head of the military unit in the cartoon, but also it's, it's shaping up to seem like the live action film will be a lot different than the cartoon. Uh, another example being that uh, Chinese actress Gong Li has been cast as the villain. Oh, interesting. A witch. Okay. So I guess we're not dealing with the, the Huns. Huns. Um, or maybe we still are, but in a, in a different capacity. There's a different villain involved, but also Jet Li is going to play the emperor. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, really great cast. I haven't seen Jet Li in a while. I know, I haven't either. I, th- I did think it was interesting. Like, you can see why they would cast him because he has that sort of brand recognition and everyone, oh, everyone across the whole world loves him. He seems a little young to play an emperor. Because at least in the cartoon, the emperor was obviously much older. I mean, there's makeup. There's makeup, yeah. But I think they're maybe just going for different aesthetic. And I think, I think he's older than I think we remember him being. Because the last thing yeah. I, I remember um, him being in... He's besides probably, Jetley's Fearless, it's probably in his fifties. And besides now? the the wonderful hidden, hidden not hidden kingdom. What's the movie called? Forbidden Kingdom. Forbidden. Oh right, where the the big like setup was. We're finally gonna get to see Jetley and Jackie Chan fight, uh, and they fought for a minute and it ended in a tie. <laughs> it was very much the similar situation between in like Fast and Furious where they had Vin Diesel and The Rock fight, and they're like. They're both tough. They both win. <coughs> it's a draw. It's a draw. It's a draw. Except The Rock won in the end because he's the one who's now handling the franchise. Oh, actually, so along those lines. Is The Rock also in Mulan? No, the, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing he's Mushu. the leader of the hunt. About, yeah. Uh, he's got the size for it. No, um, looks like David Leach is going to direct the Fast and the Furious spinoff starring The Rock and Jason Statham. Great. So David Leach, of course, being one of the directors of John Wick, the first one. Great, thank also you. Also <laughs> the director of Deadpool 2. Cool. Yes. And the director of Atomic Blonde. <gasps> oh, I'm down. So, you know, I fucking hate that franchise. You know I hate that I franchise. I know, and I, so I you, keep you, dragging you, you to it. You drag me along, and I come along anyways, because probably some part of me is a masochist and, and is all down for it. But David Leach has basically yet to do wrong. That's right. So... That's an interesting choice. He, I, in my mind, 
He's like the action film equivalent of Lord and Miller, mm-hmm. where you bring him in to do something that on paper probably won't be that good, and he'll deliver something really good. There was a, a great um, video essay I watched about Lord and Miller uh, last night, which I should have put in my bat plugs, but I'm not going to. God. So I'll just talk about it now. <laughs> um, but it was kind of there. The, the concept of the video was um, they bring great stories to franchises no one expects to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they subvert expectations by only working with bad things. Yeah, But, I mean, it's true, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're... Wait, well, you said Lord Miller, not David Leach, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they just have that clever way to do something different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the Lego movie, by all means, should have been terrible, and it was fantastic. Right, if you compare it to what came before it, because kind of the other big toy movie that was before that was Battleship. Which is, you know, I never bothered with it. it looked fucking, oh, it was it looked bad. Horrible. <laughs> but, I mean, even like 21 and 22 Jump Street, I mean, they were the reasons that I was originally excited for Solo. It's like, these yeah. guys only, like, because on paper, that movie should not exist. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible idea, but they always do something different. I know. It was, it was kind of sad because the video came out before they had left oh, God. Solo. And so, like, so... The, the end of the video is like the guy praising them. It's like, this is going to be one of the best movies we've ever seen oh, because God. they know how to handle a bad hand. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, oh. It's, I, I don't want to break your heart, man. Yeah. Well, hey, don't worry. It's now in Ron Howard's hands. And, yeah. You know, he, he does fine. Good. He, he did good stuff. He did. He did Rush. You know what? He did Rush. He, and lest we forget, he did Apollo 13. Yeah. Which is one of my all-time favorite films. Is it? I didn't know that. It absolutely is. Yeah. I remember seeing that when it came out in theaters. Because we, we went to the theater and we got this cool little, like, you know, like they do like promotional, like cups at the theaters Mm -hmm. so it was a a normal plastic cup but it was like the latter half like the back half of the um the orbiter the apollo orbiter and then it had a like triangular cap on the top so the whole cup was basically the shape of the apollo orbiter that's cool oh my god it was really awesome also i remember going to go see that movie because our dog had just died oh great (laughs) yeah good way to bring the podcast right up that was like our way of like oh let's take the kids to go to a movie to distract them from the fact that rusty's dead that's great but i still love that did movie. you know that they were gonna blow up no they didn't blow no up. which movie am i thinking of which movie are you thinking of the astronauts blowing up yeah well i mean the apollo one astronauts died in a simulation well they, they were in the rocket but basically like they got trapped inside the capsule and died no that what was what was, was the real life event where oh well there's the challenger in the Columbia. I think I might be thinking of the Challenger. Yeah, there's was Challenger. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come out and say it. I've never seen Apollo 13. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to put my hands. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's amazing. I've heard. It's Oh, and it still really, really holds up. I've heard. Yeah. That's one of those movies <laughs> that just, it comes on. It's like The Rock, but obviously a much better film. But like, it just comes on like, oh, I'm just The movie down. The Rock. Yeah. Nope. You've never seen The Rock? No. What? Oh, never seen Armageddon. Never seen. I wasn't into the the space crises films growing up. Just, I I guess that is a genre, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the. You've never seen Apollo thirteen. No. You've never seen uh, Mission to Mars. No. Red Planet. Nope. Space Cowboys. Nope. Are you made? Are these all real movies? (laughs) These are all real movies. (laughs) Like you can just start making stuff up, and I'll disagree with it. The last one, to be fair, sounds fake, but yeah. it's not. No, that's uh, Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland, and one more old white guy, like Sam Shepard or something. I don't okay. remember, but it's like 
it's kind of like Armageddon. We're like, oh, we could easily use people who are trained to do this, but we're going to bring in these random guys instead yeah. for X, Y, and Z reasons. Mm-hmm. And we're going to shoot them in a rocket. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> never saw Deep Impact. I think that's one of I've the I've never same. seen Deep Impact. You haven't seen Armageddon? Nope. Did you see Lost in Space? Nope. Well, it's not great, but it's, it's you know, it's entertaining. The only, like late i'm gonna say late 90s early 2000s sci-fi films that i can think of that kind of fit this genre are i've seen gattaca okay uh, only because my biology teacher shows it to everyone in his class you know we watched it in bio too yeah, yeah. it's really good it's great uh and i've seen uh uh deep horizon is that the one um, oh event horizon event horizon with um sam neill yeah you know i've actually not seen that how did not though <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't watch it because my, my roommate in college was like, you have to watch this movie. Oh my God. And I was, I was fine. Like, do I, do I he was like to? so pumped about this film. You know, I've always heard really good things about it. It's cool. It's um, an interesting concept. Yeah, one of my favorite podcasters, uh, Chris Hewitt on the M- Empire Movie Podcast, is one of his favorite films. He's always talking about mm-hmm. it. So I got I to gotta listen to that at some point. Yeah. Not I listen mean, to it. Watch it. I my, listen to him all the time. <laughs> my my sci-fi <laughs> knowledge was very bad, and it's still very bad. It, it was so bad to the point in my freshman year of college, my stepbrother, Jamie, sent me a box of DVDs. I was just like, these are the movies you have to watch. And did you watch any of them? It's not important. <laughs> okay, so what were you watching instead of Animated watching? Animated things. Literally anything else. <laughs> Um, Anything other than the space crisis genre? Yeah, well, the late like, 90s, early 2000s space crisis genre. Yeah, like he sent me like the Alien box. <laughs> Have you box seen set. Alien? It's not important. You haven't seen Alien? No. Have you seen Predator? No. Have you seen Terminator 2? Yes. Okay, the thanks. first half. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. He sent me those. This... He sent me Total Recall. He sent me Crawl. Okay. Crawl. Um, I haven't seen Total Recall. Cameron, I think this is the closest I've ever come to genuinely wanting me? to abandon the podcast. <laughs> to just, I, I live here. I'm about ready to get up and just walk out the door. Well, I mean, last week we had the we had the idea that like I always try and one up my nerd dumb, and I need to like bring that back down. You have brought yourself so, way back down. Yeah, so Don't then worry. I can jump that fence again. You know, we started out talking about how. We don't have this like the right kind of cred for the thing we talk about. Yeah. Now you've lost like just that many more listeners. That's fine. <laughs> With your because lack of because we all know my forte uh, is is animation. I don't. I said that very weird. With, an, with animation. 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 Yes. Um, okay. Well, I'll bring it back to something then that you you should. I'm assuming know already in love. I hope so. The new Incredibles two trailer. Yes, I did watch that. Thank God, I was about to slap you. Yes, I could not. I could not avoid that. It wasn't until the trailer dropped that I realized how many Disney notifications I got throughout my day. Because um, I got at least three emails. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it was the only thing on my Instagram feed for like a good hour because everyone was posting about it. Yeah. Uh, it was the only thing on my Facebook for a bit. And then when I got on YouTube, it was like the three top videos. Like, you have to watch these next. And it was like the three sources that post the trailer. And I'm like, I guess I should watch this. <laughs> yeah, you probably should. Because I'm not escaping it. I mean, it just keeps looking better and better. I know. I'm just so damn excited for that movie. Yeah. Okay, I think I've like stumbled through most of my major topics. I mean, we're points. 25 minutes 25 in. Minutes I guess in. we can we can start the episode now. I mean, I think we're just trying so hard to delay having to talk about Superman's pal. Yeah, which this, is this should have been a five minute episode. So I, 
I remember seeing this episode, mm-hmm. and I, I realized that I knew I remember seeing it because as soon as we met uh, the intern, what was her name? I don't know. Trish? Sure. Tina? Sure. Tina? Tanya? Uh, uh, sure. Tara? Well, nope, not Tara. <laughs> you don't get to besmirch the name Tara <laughs> in front of me. So when we first meet the intern, she's like jangling, and she's like, oh, I like metal. I'm like... Oh, I vaguely recall her having some sort of weird, fucked up relationship with Metallo. I here, here's, like, oh, that's here's thing, my here's right? my question for our viewers: What's the one thing, the biggest thing we haven't talked about in Superman lore yet? Cyber, hmm? cybernetic sex? No. Oh, uh, obviously Jimmy's watch. So how oh. about we give an entire episode to how well, Jimmy gets his watch? Well, hang on, hang on. I I will play slight devil's advocate on sure. this. Uh, because that is actually a staple of the comics. I know it is. That he has his signal watch. Mm-hmm. Jimmy actually had a whole run of comics called Jimmy Olsen, Superman's Pal, or Superman's sure. Pal, Jimmy Olsen, whatever the fuck it was called. Like, that was all like, the crazy stories in the 50s and 60s, where, like, Jimmy Olsen becomes a crocodile boy sort of thing. So th- there's a there's a history of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I get I get it. I understand the watch is very important. That's why they gave a whole episode to why he got it. Yeah. Look, okay, you know what? Hang on. I, there were things I liked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that when the what was it? The police chase was going on outside, and Superman goes to save, like stop the chase. Mm-hmm. That a whole bunch of things kept happening. to hip 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 hip. Speak for me. He kept having to go. I'm waiting. <clears throat> a bunch of things continue to happen in a linear, timely fashion, such that he would have to go from one crisis to another. It was and, almost like there was an infinite it. crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked that he had to go from saving the car to keeping the bridge up. Oh, you know, save the helicopter, keeping the bridge up. I mean, because that's what happens to Superman, right? Is that it's always something else. He's constantly running around and yeah. having to do something different. So I, I feel like that. I can just see him rolling his eyes through this whole scenario. Yeah. You can actually probably hear them. Yeah. You those, At those least power eyes. The, the only thing that I noticed from that scene that brought me a little joy that, you know, the citizens aren't completely stupid is when Superman was trying to save the bridge, people actually ran off the bridge. This is true. Which is like the first time ever. Yeah. There was no lounging. baby strollers left. There was no people just like <laughs> screaming, standing see, there. See, there you go. There wasn't a baby stroller sitting underneath the collapsing bridge. Yeah, they're learning. The so citizens are learning. Let's give them some credit. Unlike the Gotham citizens. Yeah. I, so I liked that. I liked that um, when uh, Angela Chen basically edits around Jimmy's verbal fumbling to make it seem like he's really close to Superman, she references a whole bunch of episodes we've seen before. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you saved him from Leitner, which is not technically true, but like he also saved him from Parasite, which was true. Yeah. Like, oh, and you infiltrated uh, Inner Gang's connection with the Dark Side invasion, which mm-hmm. is not on Superman's behalf, but it was true. So, like, I liked they brought in some of those callbacks yeah. into that. It, you know, every once in a while, it's fun to see that idea that there's a broader continuity going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I l- did not love, but nonetheless, still kind of enjoyed the 90s montage that we got of him just like running around Metropolis yeah. and everyone like, Oh my God, it's Superman's pal. Bring him to dinner next time. Yeah. Hey, well there were, there were two montages. It was back to back montages. There was a second one. Uh, well the first one was, um, 
I guess it wasn't a montage. The first one was when like everyone is bugging him or is like messing with him about his friendship. And then the, the montage is everyone like asking him to talk to Superman for them. See, Cameron, I expect you to come prepared to know what's a montage and what's not a montage. I know on, there's on a the, whole song this, about on this it. Podcast, you know, I've, I've heard. I the rely song. on your ability to differentiate montage from non-montage. Yes, in this conversation, we're gonna have a montage, a motherfucking montage. I, <laughs> I know the song. Even Rocky had a montage. It did the montage. Yeah, he he's like the the king of montages. Yeah, you could make a montage out of Rocky montages. It's true. Yeah. A Rocky montage montage. Someone must have done that already. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. So, total tip. I'm sure someone's made a montage of every montage. A montage montage? Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. How does Metallo keep getting some of his face back? I, I mean, my question is, where does he keep getting kryptonite? But that's a much better question. Is where does he <laughs> keep getting half a face? Where, where was he last time we saw him? Uh, I think last time... Steel, right? I feel like the last time we saw him was the Steel episode? Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah. How did that end? I don't Steel remember. Steel beat him up in the street, mm-hmm. and then... The they didn't melt him. They didn't... I don't remember. Because I remember the volcano ending. Was yeah, he that, was, that was a long time ago. Did they, they drown well, him? Okay, so he the first episode, he ends up out in the ocean, he's walking. And then... The second episode, I think, is him showing up on the island... With amnesia. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, wait. Is that when he got buried in the volcano? Or did he get yeah. The... Vol- yeah. Then he gets buried in the volcano, and then we never figure out how he got out of there. And then I feel like the next time he showed up was... Steel. Steel. And then this. So I don't know where he was in the interim, but wherever he was, they were kind enough to give him a fraction of his face back. Right. But I guess he needed, like, some bit of human thing to get t- t- Tanya... Trish. To get Trish. To get fake Daily Planet intern... With an ambiguous T name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was... To fall in love with him. It's a bad episode. Which is weird. That's weird. Um, it's, just, I, I, it's so weird. We'll go on one more quick tangent, because we're only 35 minutes into this episode. <laughs> um, I don't think I brought it up on the podcast yet, but I, I've been trying to hunt for um, a show that... A non-children's show, I have to clarify, because my friend was very dumb with me last night. Um, trying to find a show that shows a positive male-female platonic friendship uh, from beginning to end. Okay. Um, And outside of ensemble shows, so outside of your (laughs) friends, Cheers, How I Met Your Mothers, um, et cetera, um, I couldn't find a good example. I couldn't find a good American example. I mean... The biggest show I could think of is Doctor Who. They're pretty good about... There was, I mean, there was a few seasons. So, yeah. Um, oh, my God. How am I... Billy Piper's character. They had kind of a flirting thing going back and forth, but never Was actually, that the 10th Doctor? That was... Um, yes. 10th sure. was Eccleston, right? I don't know. Yeah, it was 10th ten, ten, and 11th Doctors. They both kind of a flirty thing, but that never really happened. Mm-hmm. Although, technically... Billy Piper got left in an alternate dimension with a clone <laughs> version of the Doctor that would age. Okay. So that was kind of a thing. Um, and then when Matt Smith came on board, he and... Um, Rose? No. Um, oh, okay. Amy Pond, a.k.a. Karen Gillan. Right, that They one. had a flirting thing going back and forth, but mm-hmm. she was engaged. Okay. Um, but they, like, came close, but then she ended up staying with her fiancé. Okay. 
so then by the time they left the show, they those two were together. He was she wasn't with the doctor, mm-hmm. and then did you never had anything with Donna. I'm trying to think of how this all panned out. Oh, and then yeah, even um, Matt Smith and Clara were flirty, mm-hmm. but they never actually happened. And then everything romantic ever came out of that. And then of course, once it came over to um, Tenant, so I guess that's the closest. But there, but there's that element though. There are times when they get yeah. to a little bit of that flirtatious, will they, won't they, sort of thing. Okay. I mean, the only things I can think of are like difficult people. For example, that's because like the male lead is gay and the female lead is straight. And so they don't have any sort of yeah. relationship. Even Will and Grace, technically they had, like they dated back in the day and then they broke up. Mm-hmm. But I think that still counts. But unless one of them's gay, I can't think of one. Right. And that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. Well, cause that, it just encourages the idea that men and women can't. Exactly. Have, that was the whole, yeah. that was like the whole idea of me trying to find these shows. Uh, cause especially in like young, not like kids, kids, but like, the 8 to 16 demographic, I can't think of a single show where at least two of the characters don't end up dating at the end. Like, if you go through yeah. all of the Nick, uh, even co- in, even in Kids Next Door, what? where, like, there was no... Like, they're just spies. In the first two seasons, they're great at just being spies. And then, like, season three and four, they start to push the, like, oh, well, number three and number four are obviously together. Number five and number two are obviously together. Hoagie and um, Abigail and Cookie and son of a bitch. What's your name? Not Nigel. That's it. that's number one. I, I can't two, help you. Three. If I could, I wouldn't. I don't. It's too much fun <laughs> to watch you struggle. It, I don't remember number four's name, and I'm I'm going to to hate myself for the rest of the day for that. Um, like they yeah, that's push, what you should hate yourself for. Yes, like they push the relationship. Like obviously, Kim Possible. Yeah, Ron and Kim was the eventually. big relationship. It was the big one for me. Um, but then going to like the live action stuff, like the end of Lizzie McGuire, Lizzie and Gordo get together. Um, the end of even Stevens, all three of them are in relationships. Yeah, exactly. But the Stevens twins get together. Um, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> like ev- I couldn't think of a single show where uh, a, 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 an American show. Yeah, because I feel like. The examples I've heard are, have all been British shows. Yeah. Uh, and watching my my daily dose of anime this morning, I realized how much worse it is in Japanese culture. Oh, really? Like, it's not just one guy and one girl. Like, guys have harems. And there's whole shows about, like, choosing the best girl of your harem. And, like, even, though, even like, the anime fans around that, there's, like, a whole subculture of, like, trying to find your waifu. And who is... Sorry, what's a waifu? <laughs> I got to keep climbing that nerd mountain, what, Chris. What, what What is a waifu? Best waifu is, um, it's the idea that you find a female character in an anime that you like that would make, that has the traits of, of like the ideal wife you want. And so there's whole like, just keep your mouth closed for a second because there's whole like forums of people arguing of who is the best waifu between wait, shows. Wait, wait, wait. Like, who's the best objective waifu? Because wouldn't it really matter, like, who's the best waifu? I mean, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm about ready to say this. <laughs> Fuck. But who... Welcome when, to my world. When, when you're picking a fictional 
animated character to be your pretend wife, wouldn't you find the one who best fits you and not just the best, like, broad objective one? Yes. But clearly the one that I pick is better than the one that you pick. Well, obviously you're going to pick Obviously. A, I mean, Cameron, to be fair, you're obviously going to pick a much better <laughs> wife than I will. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. like, you know the uh, you know what I was trying to go for. It's like internet culture is you have your opinion, but it doesn't match my opinion. So you're wrong. So you're wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's whole like, um, there's a, uh, not my anime list. There's, there's some anime site that has like full, like, uh, like NCAA style brackets, like oh, March Madness style no. brackets of like the best waifus of anime. No. Uh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the subculture. I don't want to know. I don't want. I don't want to be a part of the subculture. Uh, I don't know it exists. It's it's bad, uh, <laughs> and like it it really shows how much we're. It's, I mean, at least in in the anime that I've seen, I'm sure okay. there are Which anime that handle it. That's not. I'm such a bad anime fan oh compared my. to like my friends that are like actually devoted to that culture. Um, Hopelessly devoted. Yeah, uh, they have their waifu pillows. I mean, I think that's the whole, I think that's where the whole joke stemmed from is uh, in Japan, you can actually buy body pillows yeah, oh, I know. with uh, specific anime characters' faces on it. I, I'm aware. And so I think that was kind of the, the first step that emerged the best waifu competition. So how many years off do you think we are from VR waifu sex robots? Oh, robots, uh, maybe like... Like full robots like, or just sex I, toys? Because like, we already have those. I'm thinking like the the oh okay. I'm thinking like the interim space is going to be like those because we basically have robots now that are very very close to human accuracy. Mm-hmm. There's like the whole thing about like people designing these robots, not even robots, but these basically these like dolls to look like real people. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking basically like a life like a doll that is designed to look like maybe some of these characters with a disturbing amount of realistic feel oh, probably in the and next then you five like, years and then you like wear vr goggles and like it talks and interacts with you and then you have sex with it uh probably the next five years i mean outside of the physical side of that that already exists yeah <laughs> um yeah it's to the point there was a, a very fascinating product that came out a few years ago uh, it was for men who live by themselves. I, I promise we'll get back on topic at some point with no, this. No, I'm I excited. My aunt just texted me that she's having Vespers with my cousin. <laughs> they had to like, text me because it was a Vesper. I was so happy about it. Um, <laughs> to put a tangent on a tangent. That's fine. Um, <laughs> there, let me go grab a couple hats to stack on top of each other. <laughs> there was a, a product that came out a few years ago that was basically a, uh, basically a computer wife that you could have in your home uh, and it was basically uh, like the Echo, or or any of the those products. Yeah, or um, it sounds like Joy from tw- um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um. So they they live inside this egg thing, um. And you can text it, and they'll text you during the day to make you feel like you have a companion. And then when you're on your way home, they'll like set the house up for you. So like they'll they'll turn the thermostat to what you want it to be. They'll turn the lights on so you come home. They'll like turn the oven on if you leave food in. Uh, like the whole house is automated to this product. So when you come home, like you have someone that'll greet you virtually. Um, yeah, that's that's the culture right now. And that's crazy, and that's not even VR. Like VR gets so much worse. Have you ever heard of like Have you ever seen dating sim games? 
What? There's a whole subgenre of video game called dating sim- that are just dating simulators. Most of them come from Japan, uh, and they're awful. Wait, like so you go, you go on fake dates? Yes. It's basically a. Uh, is, there, is this like an RPG? Do you like level up? No. Nope. Are there are there Easter eggs? No. Nope. It's are, are there little Riddler trophies stashed yes. throughout the restaurant? <laughs> it's basically like okay, we're on ten minutes at this point. <laughs> uh, it's basically all staying in. All yeah, it. it better be. I'm very passionate about this stuff. Um, but you're like you're passionate and your fascination and disgust before it. Yes, which makes it that much better. Um, they're they're text adventure games. What? That are just revolved around dates, like so. It's like choose your own adventure via text, but dating. Yes. So <laughs> I keep throwing these things out like it's a joke, and then you keep coming back with it being true. Yes. And I keep getting sadder on the inside. So the most recent one that I'd seen, because I watch a lot of people play video games online, because I'm a millennial and that's what I do with my time. There's one called Doki Doki Literature Club. <laughs> um. Where you play a a high schooler who stumbles upon a basically like a library club where the, the, the only other members are these four girls and you're trying to like date one of them. Oh and you can choose which one. You can God. talk to them and you have like all these text options and then whatever you say will like, you know and then it's basically just like a, a generic Sims game after that. Yeah. Of, like, the more you talk to them, the more right things you say to them, the more they are attracted to you. And it's, it's, it just gets down a darker hole after that. Oh my God. Mm hmm. It's going to my plugs, Dory Dory Literature Club. It's not, no one ever go play that game ever. Save your time, save your money. Cause people, that's the thing, people pay for these. These aren't free games, Chris. People pay for these. They probably pay a lot. Yeah. And they're probably like, um, like microtransaction sort of games too. You're probably just like constantly. I don't think for, so. Are they just like up, upfront costs? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! All I can say is, Cameron, you have made me feel better by the fact that I have Grinder on my phone. Like I, you have made me now realize that my life is somehow slightly more grounded in reality. Yeah. <laughs> We're moving in a weird direction, Chris. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> So, back on topic. I mean, let's be honest. This was way more fun than talking about Our Superman's power. Yeah. Honestly, I have nothing else to say about this. Uh, I do want to pose the question of... So, this whole episode was a reason to give him the watch. Yes. How can we make that story better? If you just oh keep that God. segment, how can we make this a... Because fu- this is a five-minute episode. You This does not need to be a full 23 minutes. I think... You do this. Did you ever watch Buffy? Uh, some of it. So there was an episode. I want to say it's called like Zappo or something like that. I mean, forgive me if I'm getting this all wrong. But it's basically an episode with Xander mm-hmm. where it focuses on him and like his random side tangent mission to try and save everything and no one else is taking what he's doing seriously because they're off like fighting some big demon thing. Okay. Um, but it's basically, I think I, I want to say Zappo. I'm probably wrong, but it's like a friend of the March brothers of like kind of like the forgotten character on mm-hmm. the side. So it's the idea that it's a, you take the B or C plot of a normal episode and you make it the A plot and mm-hmm. you reverse those things. If they'd done something like that. Yeah. Um, we've seen that in a couple Batman episodes and they're always we done have. very well. And I think that it makes them interesting. Like we've talked about this before where, when you 
even with especially with Superman sometimes too, he's more interesting. Sometimes it's kind of the background character where you focus on somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think if they had done that, if they had made Jimmy trying to maybe not make it a super powered villain, but Jimmy trying to do something, um, and getting put into a pinch and like needing Superman's help and not being able to get a hold of Superman because he's off fighting like Metallo mm-hmm. somewhere else in the city. He has to figure it out under his like own resolve. And then at the end, he like somehow bumps into Superman. Like Superman shows up at like the last minute after Jimmy has solved the problem, whatever it is, like a mobster going crazy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Superman's like, oh, like, you know, hey, I don't want this to ever happen again. And then he comes back like, okay, I made you this watch. So if you ever get in trouble again, you can call me and I can be there to help. But I think, you know, I don't think you'll need it. You seem to have this under your control yourself. I think that would have done it. Like, yeah. Make it, take a, a B storyline, make an A storyline, have something else going on in the background, give it Jimmy a chance to like prove that he's capable of doing something impressive mm-hmm. when he doesn't have the help that he's usually used to seeking. Don't make it about him saving Superman, make it about him having to figure out what to do when Superman's not around. Yeah. You do that. That sounds great. That, that's kind of the idea that I had. Yeah. Um, because it's basically the same story that we want from Lois that we never get. Right. Is I want to see him as a photographer. Yeah. Of like, <clears throat> Lois will get the scoop, Clark will fly off and go handle the situation, and then you're just left with Jimmy being like, I got to get on the scene. I need to be the first. I need to, like, get the shot. Yeah. And so him, like, putting himself in these dangerous situations to get the best photo. Yeah. That would be really cool. Like, yeah. There was, like, a, like a portmanteau sort of thing, a series of vignettes of him, like, going from thing to thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Superman's never around. And yeah. And so he's, like, doing his job while also being helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have loved that. Yeah. Would have been way better. I know. Well, Anything would have been better. <laughs> Everything. Everything would have been better. <clears throat> okay. Let's talk about the good episode. All right. The good episode, Old Wounds. I'm, I'm, I love that we said that was going to be our quick thing. I know. <laughs> to be fair, I did a, a wonderfully left and right tangent about... Oh, but it was so fantastic. Everything. Um, but everything yeah, so I, I was very excited for this episode. Loved watching it again. Um, but this is Old Wounds. This, is, this fills in kind of the critical piece of history that bridges Batman animated series with the new Batman adventures mm-hmm. explaining why Dick stopped being Robin. Um, not necessarily why he became Nightwing, but at least why he stopped becoming Robin. Yeah. Um, also fills in why or how more accurately Batgirl got actually connected directly into the Bat family, how she went from being an outsider into right in the midst of it. Right. Um, I remember this as being one of my favorite episodes. How did you feel about it? I I really liked I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was it was a great story. It was fun. Um I I I think I just wanted another reason for why Dick quit. You didn't think this was enough? I mean it uh, I get it. I would have liked to see more of the manipulation side. Like obviously we get that a lot in in a lot of Batman stories, but mm-hmm. like I would have loved for because I think that was the big turning point is like Barbara joined him because he thinks that he, he thinks Batman's manipulating her into being there. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved to just like see a hint of that somewhere else in the episode. Mm-hmm. But I did love the, the like um, Batman interrogating the guy in front of his family. It was yeah. like way across the line. It's a, it's a pretty intense scene actually. Yeah. With the, like the little kid, in the space helmet crying as his dad's getting attacked by Batman. Right. And it's like, you can clearly see where Dick draws the line and where Batman draws the line. And yeah. it's like, I, that, that clearly, clearly, oh my God, clearly will make 
a rift in their friendship and their their partnership. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I wanted another reason, just like one more thing that kind of brought that and the manipulation thing together mm-hmm. of why um, Dick left. Well, because what's interesting about this is right from the beginning, you know, we see that Dick gets really pissed off if anyone says he's just like Batman, mm-hmm. you know, because Tim asks him, what happened with you guys? He just says, things change. Once you ask the other guy, once you ask the big guy, I'm like, well, guess what he said? Things change. Things change, which is fantastic because, you know, it's impossible for Dick to not have had, you know, drawn a lot from, from Bruce and from Batman, but he doesn't, he never wants to be that guy. Right. He never wants to be that obsessive um, and that, frankly sad mm-hmm. um and i was gonna ask you a question and i've completely forgot what it was god damn it no, um, no, say, say something else um <laughs> yeah so we so it is a flashback episode yeah and it starts off with dick's graduation yes um which question oh okay I've wasn't heard... he supposed to graduate with barbara weren't they in the same class i think they'll be like one class apart or so okay 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 i realized what my question was okay okay so because i think you know it's i think what we learn here is that dick's greatest fear is at the end of the day becoming bruce yes now what i think is interesting is i think do you think that bat what do you think is like Batman's then in turn greatest fear? Is it losing somebody again? Or do you think he no longer has a greatest fear because that was already came true at one point? Like, or do you think his greatest fear would be in fact losing someone else he loves, like losing Dick or, or Barbara? Or I think yes, I think uh, his biggest fear is physically losing them, but I think he also knows Dick well enough where like him quitting isn't him like I think Batman is still watching over Nightwing mm-hmm. constantly. If Nightwing, know, I'm sure Nightwing knows about some of it, but like I feel like Bruce is always keeping an eye on him. Yeah, uh, and it does come back to to the topic we had last week of like how does Dick have his money? Oh yeah, you were uh, right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is uh, his parents' trust fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure like Batman still. I'm sure Bruce still has a hand in like how much money he got out of that. And like, I'm sure he's keeping him well off. You know, see, even I, even if Dick doesn't know, I think he is probably keeping an eye on him, or like mm-hmm. he's probably aware of where Dick is in the intervening years. Yeah, I think he knows to not be involved at all. I think Bruce. I think this is one point where Bruce his obsessive behavior actually gets outweighed by his understanding of what dick needs to do for himself mm-hmm. to become his own person yeah because i feel like this is also what bruce did before he before he went on his training like he distanced himself from alfred yeah and from Alf- other alfred <laughs> other friends and from his hush tombstone hush hush oh, from, was a friend uh, from tommy elliott yep there you go yeah. he was a friend um but have you read hush and hush returns fuck me <laughs> I'm going to send you a box of comic books. (laughs) 
I'll put them on my <laughs> the, shelf. The, you'll never read. <laughs> Have you read DC New Frontier yet? Stop I, asking me. You I, will but, know. But I you told will you, know. I told you last week though that it, it's like all it's about been Green a Lantern. Long week, Chris, you I on you will know. I promise you. When I finish reading that book, you will know because I will not stop talking about it. No, it's your. The same, it was the same when I read Red Sun. You'll be visiting me on my deathbed. Be like, guess what, Chris? Yeah, Chris I Chris, read I the first one third of New Frontier. Chris, I know you really wanted me to read the book, but I watched the movie and I think I got the same points out of it. And I'll just like feebly try and like raise my hand <laughs> to slap you and I won't have the strength and it'll just fill. Yep. Fall that, down. That's how you, that's your, your last That's how moment. I die. Yep. You're going to kill me. That's fine. My heart will break. I'll be so disappointed in you. It'll be like episode 700 of this. Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Or it might still be this episode at that point. At this point, it might be. But yeah, I um, I don't know. I, I like that we got to see the consequence of that relationship. Because we, we talked about it a lot that all the way through the animated series, there was a lot of conflict between... Bruce and you Dick. could feel the tension building. You could feel yeah. the tension building. And I, f- I feel like I can see what you mean about you wanting maybe like one more reason why he quit in this. Mm-hmm. I think it very much depends on knowing that history you, and yeah. being able to pull from those moments from previous seasons. Even, yeah, even if they just mentioned that stuff. Yeah. Um, like if in their fight, like in their yelling match, Robin or Nightwing said like, like you haven't, you haven't treated me any different since... I tried to hunt down. Um, yeah, what's his face? Zuko. Zuko. Yeah, you've been treating me like a kid since I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I, even if it was just like that one-off line, like that would have sold it for me. Oh, just like a, a little bit more. Yeah. No, I I would agree with that. And and what's interesting is we'll we'll talk about it. I think at the end of this, but I've mentioned before the Lost Years comic, which mm-hmm. I have sitting right here, which I reread right before this episode. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> Because I, I can read. Um, I can read? Well, the real challenge with comics, How Cameron, dare the, you? The real cha- I used to read manga every day. The real challenge with I comic books. I can read books, forward and backwards. You know, the problem with comic books is you can't listen to them on an audiobook because they're a half-visual medium. That's fine. As long as there's pictures, I get it. But in that comic, it... it I bet I could tell you more steps to the comic process than you know. Uh, there's a script, mm-hmm. and then there's the penciler, mm-hmm. and then I mean, you're, the yeah, color, sure, there's some, the there's some in between there, but sure. So what's the bit in between? Mm-hmm. Keep going. And then it's colorized, it's colored, mm-hmm. and then there's the inker. Yep. And then it's published, <laughs> and then eventually the individual issues are collected as a trade, and then eventually, years later, they're collected as a thicker trade, <laughs> and sometimes they're famous enough, they're collected in like special edition hardback versions, mm-hmm. and sometimes those hardback versions are like massive absolute edition ones that are like massive weighty tomes you have a hard time placing on your bookshelf because it is taller than all the comics around it, and so you can't put it in uh, either alphabetically or chronologically, right. depending on how you organize your comic books. Exactly. And then... And then they make a motion comic. There you go. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then they make a movie. And then they make a prequel comic about the adapted comic book that is now a movie. Yep. And then... They make a sequel to no, the movie. Then of... they make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
I figured the whole comic book cycle. Yeah. 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 You, you, you missed uh, like storyboard, storyboarder, storyboard artist uh, and layout designer. Oh, okay. Kind of the only other two. Okay. In the, the pre, pre-process. All right. Well, those, those are the ones that set up because you have the, the script writer and then the storyboarder kind of work hand in hand. And then the storyboard artist sends it to the layout artist who actually like draws in the rough characters and puts where the bubbles are going to be. Oh, okay. And then you have the, the type designer. Who, Is there a bubbler? Is that a job? That's the type designer, yeah. They're the ones that actually write the No, I like, I meant, like drew the bubbles. Their job is just to draw bubbles. No, I wish. That'd be a great job. It would be. It'd be a terrible job, actually. <laughs> you see all this beautiful artwork, and you're just like, mm, I'm going to cover this much up with a bubble. <laughs> all right, so... Um, we're almost done, I promise. We're almost there. What, what did you think about... Um, how Barbara got brought into the fold, how that whole dynamic I would have loved to know what was going through her head when Bruce is like, I have something to show you. Oh, God, And brings her down to this dungeon. Come come to my basement, Barbara. Yeah. I want to know what was going through her head at that point of like, is this some, like, BDSM shit that you have with Dick? Is that why he's been so distant? It's like, did you hurt him? (laughs) Bruce, did you not have aftercare after your guys' crazy sessions? Yeah, because like, clearly she doesn't know that he's Batman. So what does she think is down there? Yeah. Did, did he, did he freeze just, Dick? It's just Alfred in a ball gag. Yeah. Hanging out in a cave. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... I, I understood Batman's side of it. It's like mm-hmm. Dick couldn't tell Bruce's secret and he and Bruce knew Dick wouldn't reveal his secret. Yeah. And so Bruce did the kind thing and like I will tell you for him yeah. because I know he will not betray me in that way. Yeah. And I you know I liked And then Alfred's response is that was that's the that scene I saw before any other Betos or any other part of oh, this. Oh really? Yeah. Was that gif popped up on my Tumblr when I first made a Tumblr back in 2010. That was like the first piece of content I ever saw. What, what was your Tumblr called? Uh, back then, it was the Nerdy Doodler. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. It, it got more sane after that. It was because my my high school girlfriend made me make one. Oh, okay. Um, and so it was saner. <laughs> Whatever you can do to seem cool, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I gave up on cool, like, I think, when I started to walk. <laughs> I went and started talking. I'm like, mm, this cool stuff isn't for me. When you when you were crawling, you're like the coolest baby around. Oh, yeah. I was. I you're like the Saturday Night Fever of babies, just oh, strutting yeah. down the street. Well, my mom used to used to tell me that I could only walk when I was holding a specific basketball. Really? So I think like I I was a sports kid at one point. Did you dribble the ball? Probably. I mean, not not when I was like learning to walk, but oh. but yeah. So just traveling with it. Yeah, that's the only thing that could make me walk. You cheater. Yeah. It was because it was like one of the like the small uh, playmate sets. Oh, okay. Uh, and it came into the the set of three colored balls, and I could only walk with one color. Which color? I don't remember. Probably green. Well, this story is pointless now, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> All of these stories are pointless. So, but I, you know, I do. How do we get there? How, just, do, we, how, how do we? How do we how, get anywhere? How? Why am I here? <laughs> I could be in bed right now. Seriously, though, it's for the fans. For the fans, it's what we do it for. <laughs> All 50 of you. Um, yep, we appreciate it. So, but no, okay. I like... Crystal, Mark, 
John, <laughs> Amy, Brad. Oh, good old Brad. <laughs> Love Brad. John Biev. <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> Juliet. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying. Um, I do. So yeah, I love. I love when Bruce kind of brings her in because you can tell he doesn't know quite what to do in the situation mm-hmm. too. And so, and I just, I think we've talked about before that what this universe generally does best is its moments. Like a lot of these episodes are made off of moments Mm -hmm. and there are bad episodes with good moments, but what makes the great episodes is when those moments are obviously tied together with like a really solid through line. I think an emotional one too. I think that really does it here, but there are some things that this does that are so, so great. I Mm -hmm. love that they have the Joker in here. Yeah. Um, Because I think you get some of his best lines. Um, I'm thinking of when they're up at the top of the tower and the hyenas go to attack Batman and he knocks them off and Joker's like, Hey, I don't hit your kids. Yeah. No, I actually I do. <laughs> it's like, it's a fantastic line. I want to think of the coolest moments in maybe all of the DCAU is when Barbara gets knocked off the tower and Robin pulls up the motorcycle and uses the ejector seat to fly up high enough to like get to her level and then grab her and grapple away. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think my favorite moment of this episode is the punch. At the very yes. end. I mean, a deserved but, punch yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think only Dick could punch Batman like that. Mm-hmm. I think he's the only person that could get away with doing that. And it would be Alfred. He'd more be, he'd, it'd be more like a glove slap, Al- Alfred is, is far more passive. You yeah. Know? He, he, would he just, uses his words. He, he would just, you know, like, put a little bit too much salt in his vichyssois. Oh, he would, he would just, like... He'd just play either the guilt game or like, oh, oh, Bruce, that's a good decision. Yes. I don't think your parents would like it. Oh, man. Harsh. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure Alfred just pulls the parent card all the time. I think what he does, actually, is I think he comes up with a lot of really good like parent-themed zingers. Yeah. And he knows that Bruce can't handle it. He'll just like, break down and start crying in the Batcave. Yeah. And it just echoes. It's too loud. Mm-hmm. So then Alfred will like hold his tongue and he'll slink away and he keeps a little diary of all of his dead parent related jokes. Oh, amazing. He just jots it down there. He gives it a little glance, has a has a nice little little hmm. little chortle, closes it up, puts it in his nightstand. Yeah. Goes right back to work. Yeah. But <laughs> what the fuck are we talking Good about? Good for Alfred. Uh favorite moments, punching. Yes. Yeah. The punch. Like I the, I mean, this is not for me the emotional highs of like Robin's reckoning or um over the edge, mm-hmm. but still pretty high. And I, and I think part of the reason is, you know, after, I mean, it's the, the nature of the episode is very, it's a downer. It's really sad. It's like, how do these two people who meant so much together, um, drift so far apart and you can see where Batman is grappling with when he should have a heart and when he shouldn't. Right. Cause the nature of what he does, he has to be kind of heartless sometimes. Like he needs to find the Joker. The, the stakes are high. He's got the radar jam or whatever. He's got to interrogate this mm-hmm. this guy, and, and which, to be fair, is probably like the weakest of the Joker plots. It's pretty weak, but the fact that it's very like B level, like no very, one's getting hurt in this plot. Well, I mean, no, there's no active threat. Yeah, but there's a very huge passive threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that glimpse of an airplane flying through. You know, there's, there mm-hmm. are stakes. Yeah, I'm just saying, forty million dollars to not let airplanes land. Airplanes land. 
Well, I mean, but, but it's not just they can't land, it's that they have no radar at all. So they could easily crash into each other, crash oh, okay. into a yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the plot of Die Hard 2. Got it. Sort of. Probably haven't seen Die Hard 2. Not. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Um, but, you know. Die Harder? What? You said Die Harder. No, no, no. That's the movie about when you have to, like, dye t shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you have to, like. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Oh, of course you have. Yeah. So, but. I, it is a, the nature of it is very sad. These, mm-hmm. these two people kind of falling, drifting apart and in a very cataclysmic way too. And I think that like that punch really, it's a, it's a distinct moment that has to be there at the end. It's a very final moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I love is that the, the epilogue that comes after that, um, it's a little convenient. Yeah. But when Nightwing looks at the idea of the guy that he and Tim, say like the broke up the muggers he realizes it's the idea of the the crook the gangster who batman was interrogating in front of his family and mm-hmm. bruce set him up and win enterprises and gave him a job and stops by and talks to him asked him about his kid yeah um and to it, i mean it's a moment where we're reminded that bruce does have a heart mm-hmm. um and it's interesting too because i think you know we talk a lot in general about the nature of Batman as a character across all mediums is that like his true self is Batman yeah. and the Bruce Wayne as a facade. And I think the, one of the values of being with a Bruce that has existed for a longer time, we spent more time with is we get moments like this where we realize, well, there's actually this weird middle space where Bruce does things as Bruce to try and make the world a more positive place. You know, he's trying to prevent bad things from happening at Batman, but as Bruce, he actually actively tries to make good things happen oh, for Oh, absolutely. People. I feel like we see that all the time. And I think we see that a lot in this show. I don't mm-hmm. know if we get that chance. We don't get the same kind of chance to see that in the, in the movies, like the movies yeah. for example. Or, you know, obviously we do it in, like, sometimes in the comics. But here we, you know, like him giving, like, you know, he did the same thing for the Ventriloquist. He gave him a job. Like, he really does try to make an effort. For who? For the ventriloquist. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that was the example I was going to bring up. Yeah, and so I really like that we had that moment, and like it, that's a really nice emotional moment because it's, it's, and the the final shot too of Nightwing joining Robin to head towards the bat signal. That's basically his way of forgiving Bruce mm-hmm. and coming to terms with them separating. What was a really necessary step, right? There's also a, a very small moment in the episode dealing with the interrogation. Um, where Joker makes a joke of like, don't you guys ever use doors? Oh yeah. Uh, and then in the interrogation scene, Robin uses the door to try and talk to the to the goon. And as he does that, Batman breaks through the window. Through the window. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even catch that's that. the that's biggest so character good. moment <laughs> I could see. That he uses door. Yeah. No, I I really love this storyline in general. I love the little pieces that it fills in. Mm-hmm. And so, so the last year's comic, what it um, kind of adds in there is, so it, it is, it is basically this plot at its core. Okay. But drawn out a little bit. So there's a little bit of a, and what's kind of cool here, you can take a look at it. It's worth, it's worth giving again. What's kind of cool is that the, the flashback sequences are animated in the style of BTOS. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and so like it it opens with Batman and Robin waiting in the sewers to try and capture some some goons. And to your point about there may be not being quite enough setup as to justify why Dick leaves in the comic when they're down there, Batman's just basically being critical, nonstop critical. And then Batgirl jumps in to help, and he's very complimentary of her, and he gives her a piece of advice like, "Hey, when you go to move right, you leave your left side open," and then. 
to we also see in the comic how Bruce discovers that Barbara is Batgirl mm-hmm. because then she's at Wayne Manor playing tennis with Dick and she whoops him and then Bruce steps in like, oh, I think I can do better. And he beats her like just squarely. And he makes a comment of like, oh, yeah, well, I was paying attention to what you do. And when you go right, you leave your left side open. She's like, oh, you're mm-hmm. not the first person to tell me that. And he's got this little this ponderous look like, oh, interesting. So it sets up how he knows who she is. Yeah. Um, so I think like that it adds a little bit of room like a little bit of story beforehand and then it, it cuts out some of the pretty important scenes like it cuts out the scene where dick shows up at her apartment and it's all flustered and it just jumps to her at the bat cave when you know she gets taken down there and introduced to the world yeah into everything the batman has but at the when they're up at the tower one of the cool moments too is that we a brief glimpse of actually tim on a rooftop across the way watching this going on through binoculars oh. and so then it um this this comic then also basically retells the story of Sins of the Father. Mm-hmm. So then it adds in him up on the rooftop watching that all go down. And when the machine explodes, it launches a batarang across the roof and he collects it. That's why he has a batarang okay. in the beginning of the episode. And one of the other really cool things it does is it actually shows some time with Tim and his dad and how Tim really wants to be like Batman. He's got like cardboard boxes with the villains like faces mm-hmm. on him. He's sort of battering. One of them is Two-Face. Obviously, Tim's dad works for Two-Face. He's like, hey, you can't, you got to respect him. He puts food on your table. Yeah. Um, and Tim gets basically in his face, in his dad's face. It's like, you you know, you should be more like Batman, not like Two-Face. Like, you should do something good for the world and not just be another crook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that then sets up why Tim's dad betrays Two-Face. He actually gets inspired by Tim to try and do something right. And it, it costs him. And like he makes a huge mistake and he has to flee. Mm-hmm. But it makes him less of a deadbeat and actually gives him like a bit of a heroic moment before he goes okay. off and dies. That's awesome. Yeah. So it, it's cool because it, it sort of takes those stories and shows them from a slightly different angle and adds a little different context. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it also shows what Dick was up to when he was gone. So he's gone for like two and a half, three years, roughly, mm-hmm. which is, I think, roughly, basically consider the time frame between BTOS and this. Does it go into his mullet-making decisions? Uh, it shows him slowly getting his hair grow longer until he has a mullet. Okay. Um, sadly, yeah. it does not have a scene of him standing in front of the mirror going, you know what? You know what's cool? Mullets. Mullets. At the very beginning of the episode, the goon that gets away also has a mullet. Oh, yeah, that's And right. I really wanted like Dick to just like, hair whip him. <laughs> Or like like pull him down from his yeah. from his ponytail. Actually, no, he'd be like, you know what? I was gonna catch you, but I'll let you go, man. You're looking real cool, man. Yeah, us mullet boys gotta stick together. Yeah. We're sweet mullet. If you just like hand me that wallet, yeah. we're all cool. I'll here. let you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. God, we're so bad at trying yeah, to. Yeah, I'll, cool. I'll see you at the monthly mullet meeting. Yeah. So he So when when Dick goes off, he goes to like China to study with one master. He goes to South America um and be uh, what, what happens? He goes to South America. So he shows up. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He okay, close. Oh damn! He's, I love he's actually. Uh, we see him like fighting these guys. Capoeira. Yes. It's capo- yes. Capoeira. Capoeira. Yes. We think he's fighting them, and he's actually part of like a capoeira show. Yes. So he's a performer again. Um, but then he he goes from there. So he's in he's in I think yeah he's in like Brazil and he heads off somewhere else. And he goes to this town where they're better to have, like, the Dias de las Huertas. So he gets, like, the skeleton mask and costume. He also discovers that Two-Face is down there selling, like, with a drug, mm-hmm. like, thing going on. And so Dick is trying to track down, like, this invisible tribe, this famous tribe that um, can turn themselves invisible. And he comes across them out in the jungle. And they train him, basically, stealth skills. Mm-hmm. Um, then he then uses, like, break up 
Two Faces gang, and that tribe they wear the 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 eagle symbol. So his his Nightwing symbol comes from them. Okay, and so he gets it as like a gold chain that he wears, and then he heads back out to Asia, and he's trying to find a tribe of monks who are supposed to be able to fly, mm-hmm. and so he joins a um, basically becomes like a Sherpa, like a to take these guys up into the mountains and he quickly discovers that they're goons for Ra's al Ghul and that they're trying to come across this like statue that's supposed to have the secret to flight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he fights them and then gets buried in snow and he gets rescued by one of these monks who wears and Oh yeah, go to the end. You can see it. He wears like okay. an all blue, these monks wear this like, all blue suit with a blue hood and like their face okay. is kind of blacked out. And so he, the monks give him, and the reason they can fly is that they have those glider wings inside the suit. And so the monks give him one of those suits. So he can go back to Gotham and retrieve the um, like the statue from Roz. And so when he does that, he puts on that suit, but he decides it needs something Looks else. Looks like Skeletor. He does look like Skeletor, right? But, and then he puts on like the gold version of the Nightwing's emblem. So that's actually like more or less the coloring of the original Nightwing suit. We get a brief glimpse of it in the comics. But so it sets up like where his suit came from, where his emblem came from, um, you know, where he was off. So it's basically a whole story about him doing what Bruce did for years of like traveling around the world, kind of living off of whatever random jobs he came across to train himself and this, this drive to train and learn and be better and better and better. And people kind of keep telling him like, you know, you've learned everything you can learn here. What are you gonna do next? Like, oh, I'm going to learn something else. And you can really see those similarities between him and Bruce as he's going off and doing his own thing. And it's kind of like, you get a better, a bit more of that sense of if Dick hadn't gone and done this, he would never become like a fully realized version of himself. Right. He would always be in Bruce's shadow, but in the same way that Bruce had to go off and be alone and discover himself, Dick had to go do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it sets him up as like allowing him to become his own hero. And it's just, it's full of those cool little moments. It's a little absurd that he heads up in South America and two faces there. He ends up in Asia That's and Roz fine. is there. Um, but it just adds a little bit more like texture and context to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. That's actually. awesome. Yeah, you should take it with you and not read it. I mean, you just tell me the whole story. I don't need to read it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I think you probably, for the listeners, you probably track it down somewhere. I have a, a trade bound version that I bought well, probably like 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably out there somewhere. But it, if you really like this story, just like the new Batman Adventures, and you want to know a little bit more about that space in between, uh, it's worth picking up a copy. I'm sure. DCU Watchtower, they probably have a version of it that they've used to like do timelines <laughs> and stuff. Um, but it's really good. It's worth a read. So, yeah, go check that out at some point. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm looking it up, see if it's still available to buy online. Yeah, man, get a copy of it. Oh, yeah, it's still on Amazon. Oh, there we go. Uh, da, 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 da. Anything else? Oh, it's expensive on Amazon. Yeah, how much is it? It's like 50. <laughs> Take this back. Go put it in my, my comic vault. <laughs> uh, shall we should we move along? Uh, I'm ready for plugs. Ready for some plugs here? Yeah. Um, Cameron, what have you been not reading but watching? Uh, oh, man, I've been reading a ton this week. Oh, have you no, now? No, I have not. Um, I, I did not think I was brave enough, but I finally conquered my fear as this helicopter passes by. Um, and you went for a helicopter ride yep. over the city. I did. Uh, you watched a car chase unfold, and you I waited did. to all the other news choppers up there. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to jump from one copter to another to get a better view. Uh, Are you a ghost? Did you die? I did. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm getting over my fear of ghosts. This mm-hmm. is fantastic. Look at us growing. Look at us. As people. 
Uh, I mean, not you anymore. You're dead. Yeah. But. Um, who's the, what's Dead Man's real name? Boston Brands. Thank you. Like, I knew it was something wow. B, and I couldn't think of anything besides Baxter. I have a poll. Uh, yeah, Boston Brand. Thank you. Um, no, I went to go see A Quiet Place. Was it good? It was really good. I want to see it. Uh, it's very suspenseful. So I do this thing during suspenseful moments that I didn't realize I did until after the end of this movie, where like I'll cross my arms, and like under my arm, I'll grab my side uh, just like really like I'll just yeah. grab like this like really tightly yeah. just to like keep myself from I like, keep myself calm did you bruise yourself I did wow <laughs> I was because the whole movie is suspenseful yeah um because uh it's 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 just one of the characters it's not a spoiler for anything the the oldest daughter I guess the only daughter uh is deaf mm-hmm. and so the movie is really fascinating because it kind of flips the idea of fear and suspense away from the typical away from how typical movies handle it where in most movies you know a jump scare is coming because it's a silent moment yeah um but in this it's like you just have the foley for most of the movie oh shit you just kind of hear the footsteps and kind of the wrestling of the leaves so you're like constantly in suspense yeah um but then when like the big things happen you'll switch to the girl's perspective where it's just complete silence what Uh, that sounds amazing yeah and it's really cool but I didn't realize like how tightly I was holding my side. So, like when I walked out, I was like, I'm really hurt. And when I got back to my apartment, I looked, I'm like, I fucking bruised my like, side is, watching this, this movie. Is this boxing? Like what? Oh no. Yeah. It was, uh, it was John Krasinski. Yes. Uh, who's great. Him and Emily Blunt are amazing in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the kids are amazing in it. And I heard too that the, um, the daughter, that actress is actually deaf. That'd be awesome. I, I would love to believe. I would love no, to No, that's it's that. true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard it. <laughs> I don't believe you. I've heard it, but it also it's, great, it's a great idea, but I don't believe you. Yeah. So much you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Um, and then the other movie I watched, if you need something lighter and not scary, even though it's not really scary, just suspenseful, uh, is I watched the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO Go. Uh, and it's great. It's very sad because he, like, he had a great life and like everyone loved him. He was an international icon. Yeah. Which is kind of something you don't, think about with wrestlers is like he wasn't just bound especially in america he was such a big name that he actually didn't wrestle that much like his name got so big because he was such an event person okay um so especially in the time where like wrestling was very regional i don't know how much you know about the wrestling world little to none cool i don't know much either except what i learned from documentaries because wrestling documentaries are fascinating oh i bet they would be um so before Vince McMahon Jr. took over the company, who bought it out from his dad, uh, and like a lot of the wrestlers hated him for it, every kind of region had their own wrestling circuit. Uh-huh. So there was like the Northeast Circuit, um, you had like the DC Circuit, you had the South Circuit, the Florida Circuit, the Midwest, the, like the mid, like the middle of the world, the Chicago. Like there were like I think ten circuits going on. And so you never really got to see the same fighters because it was always like the local hero was fighting someone else. Um, so Andre the Giant was kind of the first one that like every everyone in America knew his name, mm-hmm. and he would just travel to the different kind of he just like to the different rings and just make an appearance, and it would just be an honor to see him. That's cool though. Uh, but he wasn't just a like just an American fighter, which kind yeah. of blew me away. He started off in France. So he's a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Um, he also started wrestling when he was fifteen. Wow. Like that's all he did with his life was wrestle. Yeah. 
Um, he started in France and was big in kind of the European circuit before coming to America. Uh, but he was also huge in Japan, hmm. which is, I feel like it's kind of a, a pretty common thing nowadays uh, where like celebrities like big in America, but like they're huge in Japan. Yeah. Um, so he did that a lot. And then it was, it kind of got more depressing in his later years because like his gigantism did catch up with him. And mm-hmm. like he had a ton of surgeries he was supposed to get, but like he didn't want to leave the wrestling world for that long. Oh, and so it got like towards the very end where he just couldn't wrestle anymore. And you hear these stories of like, he'd step in the ring and he would have to hold on to the, like to the rope or to his opponent the whole time. Cause he couldn't stand on his own. So sad. It really was. Um, but it, it's a great documentary. You it's, it's, he's such a fascinating man. Yeah. Well, cause it's not just, not just sad because, you know, anyone going through that would obviously be so sad. But the fact that kind of what gave, in some weird way, gave him the opportunity to kind of live the life that he, I would think, on some level loved. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That then eventually, like, you know, pulls him from it. I mean, that is like an inherently tragic. Yeah. Kind of very sin- Shakespearean. Yeah, very Shakespearean. Yeah. very cinematic thing. And just like, you know, the, the thing that gave him purpose and joy, mm-hmm. you know, to have that taken from him kind of before he's ready to go. Yeah. Um, it's really, really sad. And it also, he also didn't end on a great note, which is also really sad. Cause like, um, there was a great comment cause they interviewed his, uh, his driver slash body, his bodyguard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, great. It was a fun story hearing like how they first met and Andre literally threw him out of his dressing room. Oh my God. They interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger and apparently they were getting dinner one night and Schwarzenegger was like, I'm going to pay. Like, this is my yeah. meal. I'm going to pay. And Andre's like, sure. And he goes and he picks up Schwarzenegger, like nothing. And like moves him to another table and takes the check and pays for it. I'm like, that's crazy. That's insane. He was, um, it was fun listening to Vince McMahon talk because, like, no one actually knew how tall Andre was. Yeah. They were joking, like, every time we would announce him, we would add another inch. <laughs> um, but he was approximately 7'1 and 500 pounds. Fuck. Yeah. He's a tank. Yeah. Um, that's, just, that's just so much mass to move. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, poor guy. I know. Um, but it was fun. The, the only weird part of the documentary... Is there's like a five minute stint where they're talking about how bad his farts were? Oh my god! It it must have been bad because they have like the big names talk. Like Hulk Hogan is yeah. the main person talking about it, and he's like, you would see him. He would lift his leg, and the whole room would just clear because <laughs> you knew what was coming. Um, Ate a lot of food, that guy. Yeah, and yeah, obviously, what a lot of people probably know about his non-wrestling life was he was a huge drinker. Yeah. And, like, the stories of how he would drink 100 beers in a night Jesus. and still, like, not feel drunk. Well, yeah, how could you? Um, they would say he would show up before a fight because it was pretty common for everyone to drink after the fight. He would show up with six bottles of wine because that was his drink of choice was wine because he's a Frenchman. Makes sense. Uh, he would show up with six bottles of wine in his dressing room and down one whole bottle before even getting in the ring. Um, and it, it was just like nothing to him. Oh my God. Yeah. That does sound really fascinating. He, he, he sounds awesome. Yeah. It was, it was, it's kind of upsetting that like, he, I never got old, to experience how that. How old was he when he died? Uh, early forties. Oh 
Uh, oh, the the point I wanted to make, which was the kind of the tragic side of it, was since he was this icon, he was always the hero. Yeah, like, he always won. He only lost one match, uh, and it was to Hulk Hogan in oh, WrestleMania right. three. Kind of Pass the torch. Huh? Yeah, but because he had to play the heel, he had to play the villain in that match. Um, everyone kind of hated him after that, oh. and like he he left the wrestling world being the villain, and that like they said that is probably what tore him up the most is like he used to walk in and that's a hard thing to, to get, to get used to. It's like you walk in and everyone praises your name. Yeah. And then the second you do one bad thing, you walk in and everyone's throwing shit at you and they're yelling at you and they're cursing at you. And, and it's, like, it's even more insulting because he had to play the villain to Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Um, but his, there was a quote that he had that was like walking through the airport. He could hear people making these side comments about him. And, like, with other wrestlers, it's makeup. It's a costume. Yeah. They can go out in a trench coat and a hat, and they can be normal, but, like, he can't not be 7, 8, and 500 pounds. Yeah. Um, so, like, he never got to escape the identity. Oh, and that was what was kind of, like, the most heartbreaking side of it. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. What did, what did he die of? A heart attack. Okay. Mm-hmm. That. Like okay. a week after his dad died, which is even worse. Ooh, yeah. God. He flew home to France to see his, like his dad was on his deathbed and he flew home. And then like a week later, Andre died. Ew. Yeah. Oh, bad timing. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so what have you been watching? Uh, <laughs> listening, uh, reading. Well, so you and I together the other night watched Attack the Block. Which Did. Which amazing. Seen. It is really good. It's very simple, but it, I mean, it, like I can't imagine it was made for a lot of money, but it puts all of it on the screen. I honestly, I mean, it's it, this sounds like I'm, you know, uh, damning with faint praise, which is not. It's the first thing from it. But like John Boyega's best role. Oh and yeah, so, he was look, so good I, in that. I really like him in uh, Force Awakens. I know you've seen Pacific Rim too. I I haven't. It was fine. Yeah, but I've heard he's good in it though. Despite mm-hmm. that, he's very charming. Like he is very charming. But like my God, he is so good in that role. And you know, especially starting out playing a villain basically. And he just carries the pain of who he is through that movie the entire time. So that like you really do start to feel for him and sympathize with him. And so it's one just really fun and very like inventive and just great. But I, I think for his performance alone, like I can now understand why he was such a big deal when that movie came out and why it was such a huge thing. Cause he's incredible. Absolutely. So good absolutely incredible on that um yeah so we watched that and then i've also been reading what? uh With i know words it's a it's a um these things called books no like yeah it's so you know how like words can be printed Mm-mm. you know like like on a screen like you oh see, yeah, yeah, like, yeah see like this like a screen but imagine instead of a screen it's a it's a piece of tree that's been shaved down until it's like uh well paper thin uh-huh. Uh, I know you don't know what paper is, but it's like super, super thin. Yeah. And then you would just like put it on one side and then on another side. This and then you put them all, sci-fi you, you, bullshit you stack them all right together now. and then you read them sequentially. Like you, 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 you look at the words, the, the letters and you digest them sequentially and you, you use the pages. You use your imagination. Yes. You eat the pages. Okay. Yeah. You, you look at them and you go, this looks appetizing. And then you eat them. Well, that's how you digest the information. That's absolutely true. So you, yeah. You, <laughs> You, you slowly digest it over a thousand years. Yeah, well, the paper goes down and the words go up. That's yeah. how the digestion works. Yeah, that's the only reason we can talk as humans. We eat words and then we just regurgitate them in different order. I know. I mean, I tried to eat the the dictionary, but I didn't make it past like 
made it through like abacus what's about you never made that's why you never made to calculate all those you know how to do math right but i've been reading this book it's called uh, arlo finch in the valley of fire so okay. it's um i think the, the term is like middle grade fiction so it's like 12 year olds roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's written by John August, who is a screenwriter. Um, his first film was the movie go, which I actually haven't seen, but I, I know, um, Soderbergh, I think Soderbergh directed it. Um, it's just a really good, but he also, he worked with Tim Burton a lot. So he wrote the screenplay for big fish. He wrote okay. Frank and weenie. He wrote in Charlie the chocolate factory. He was one of the writers on Charlie's angels. <gasps> um, so he, he's a fantastic the movie or the series movie probably the movie okay yes uh he's a really fantastic writer he also does a podcast called script notes which i listened to for years i just i didn't have time to keep up with that one but it's him and craig mazin and every week they sit down and they talk about screenwriting very like the 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 industry sometimes they'll do deep dives on movies talk about why the scripts are so great like i listened to one all about the adams family which i never watched so then I, I went and watched those two movies which are actually really you've fun. never seen the adams family movies? i didn't see neither one of them i watched them oh, for the wow. first time like uh Six months ago or so. And what I, do you do during Halloween? Live my normal life. How dare you? I'm not a big Halloween person. I mean, oh. I love Halloween, but it's more about the dress-up aspect. Okay. Um, and the drinking, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so he's a fantastic writer. It's this podcast, and he took a year off from screenwriting to write this book. He moved his family out to France. He and his husband and their daughter went out there and he wrote this and you know I've been complaining about how much I hated A Wrinkle in Time because you read it and you're like this doesn't sound like a kid this sounds like an adult trying to write for a child yeah and what I love about Arlo Finch is you know it's it's very inventive in his language he's I mean obviously he's he's incredible with words but you know it's got a lot of like fun energy to it but you read it and it reads like how a 12 year old would think there's a lot of those little moments where like you know, at one point he's going camping and he's has to get up to go pee and his jacket is buried down at the bottom. And so he creates this whole scenario in his head why it's okay for him to borrow his friend's like super nice jacket up at the top. And it's the sort of thing that you would do as a kid. Like you like justify these things with like overthinking all of them. Yeah. Um, it's really, really good. And um, no, I've been enjoying it a lot. I've got me like, like a third of the way through. Okay. Roughly so. But um That highly, sounds cool. Yeah, I recommend it. It's fantastic. I'll listen so. to that someday. Yeah, you listen. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he I wonder if he did his own audiobook. I can check. I don't know. He, I mean he's got a great voice too. He's you, you started the outro and I'll, I'll he's check. very accomplished Well before we get to the outro, because this episode hasn't been long enough as it is. Are we doing letters now? I mean let's save it for next week. Do we should save it for next week? Let's save it for next week. I guess week. we're at even yeah. though Etrigan is next week and I want to talk about Etrigan oh a lot. Oh my god. Well what's wait hang on let, what else is next week? Um Oh, my God. We have a lot to talk about next week. It's Aquaman and Etrigan. <gasps> we'll find letters another time. Okay. All right. But I just I do want to say that I'm trying... I've said this a lot, but I'm actually trying to get better about keeping track of people writing into us because we really do love that and responding. And so I have a whole list that I'm going to come back to next week to uh, to talk about. But um, do please write to us and just engage with us whichever way you feel like. Every, every small message we get is always really appreciated and a lot of fun. Um, so to do so... Uh, we are at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Gmail. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, I am at Lordifer on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Uh, I. If you want to see my art, it's at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, it's at CamDexter underscore Adventures. And if you want to see my merch, it's at Core Memories Co. Yeah. That's everything? I think that's everything. That's everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So. What else do I do? If you want to find the podcast, it's at Tim Talk. If you want to find my office, it's at full screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just go through the whole list. Go. Where can you find me? Here's where I'm going to be uh, tomorrow morning, Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me at uh, at at Chipotle. Yeah. Uh, at <laughs> at at boxing. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Crunch. It's a gym. I will yep. be there really early tomorrow morning. Great. Desperately want to go to bed. Um, uh, no, he did not narrate his audiobook. Okay, who did? Someone named James Patrick Cronin. Don't know who that is. No. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for listening to us. It's always appreciated. Yes. If you made it this far, we I lo- applaud you. We love you. Yes. If you. <laughs> If you made it this far, write us and tell us, and we'll talk about it next week on Letters. Yes. Where do you think we were wrong, went wrong as a society with dating Sims and harems? <laughs> and, and let us know. What do you think is our future dystopian sex lives that are going to happen? Exactly. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye.